Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. production. Good morning from Ohio. Howdy. You said after we say our howdies. Is that because you're in because you're in Ohio? <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, well, good morning to you. Good afternoon to me. Good evening and good middle of the night to everyone else. Mm -hmm. uh, you are in Santa Barbara. I am in Dayton, Ohio. Yes. I have a lovely hotel room, which is great. You wanted to talk. I have some things to recap, but I wanted to let you go first because I always tend to go first, and I want I wanted to switch it up today. So tell Thank us a little bit about. First. Tell us a little bit about our guest, and then you have a birth story you want to talk about, right? Yeah, just uh, life is good here. The sun is back out. We had a <laughs> we had a lot of intense weather, so yeah, I'm enjoying just um, kind of branching back out into the world. And I did have a beautiful birth this week. And um, gosh, where would I want to start? So I guess I'll just tell you the mom had some concerns about her partner being able to be there because his job is something that keeps him away from time to time. And so since the beginning, it was kind of a concern. Will he, will he be there for the birth? And she wasn't quite at her due date, but was already starting to feel like she wanted to control things a little bit because he was going to be home for a week. And so we, that morning we had had kind of a deep talk about surrendering and letting go and trusting the process and all of that. And, and then he came home and she texted and said that she had been having contractions. And I was like, wow, look at that. It's so perfect. And then I said, you know, get to bed early and all of that. And then I don't know, maybe a couple of hours later, she texted me and said that her water had broken. And this was a mom, this is a mom who has already had a vaginal delivery. So I said, are you still having contractions? Do they seem to have int intensified since your water released? And she said, yes. And I said, okay, is it okay? Is it okay with you if I just come and sleep on your couch so that I'm there, you know? And you know, with the weather and stuff, I think I mentioned the last podcast, my assistant was kind of trapped for a little bit. So, you know, thinking about getting her to me too, because she has to drive an hour to come to birth with me. So that was a consideration as well. So she said, she, I have a bed, come on. And so I went to her home and she was up and, you know, like not resting at all. And I said, you really should rest. And she said, I'm not really feeling like I want to. And I said, I know, but things are going to get more intense. She definitely was in early, early labor. And so I tucked myself in and, and sent her off to bed. And then at about two 30 in the morning, I could have sworn that I heard chopping, like someone was cooking and I started to smell smells of food. And I thought, well, maybe her husband got up in the middle of the night and was making himself something. And I, you know, I finally decided to go check and see what was happening. And she was making a soup in the kitchen. And, and so I thought, oh, I thought, oh, she's probably not in labor, like labor probably stopped and, you know, I'll just leave in the morning or whatever. And I said, are you cooking? And she said, yeah, I was just trying to distract myself. She said, things are getting really intense and I don't think I can do it anymore. Can you push on my hips? 
And so she had a contraction and I gave her hip squeeze and then she turned around to the refrigerator and pulled something out. And I, she said, this is how it was last time too. She said, and then it'll just go. And I said, you were really chatty like this last time. She said, yep. And then I think we may, maybe had three more contractions and she, that was it. She was on her hands and knees and her partner was supporting her husband was supporting her. So I called the team to come and join us. And the plan was that her older son was going to sleep, you know, through it, or they were going to call for support. And she was getting kind of grunty. And all of a sudden behind me, I heard, hi, mom, are you in labor? And I was like, oh, he's awake. And he just kind of sat there and was just amazing because the people that she was going to have come help, it was also going to take an hour to get to her. So, you know, we were juggling the dogs and the kid, but everybody was just amazing. And the plan was for her husband to catch. And at a certain point, he asked us all to leave the room, which we had talked about that, you know, they might want to just be alone. And so, you know, it's interesting when that actually happens. I know you've had some clients who have had you downstairs while they were delivering the baby. And so, you know, I sat at the table and I really like, I'm like, okay, so I'm not listening and she's pushing and I'm not in there. And, you know, all of these things start going through your head. Um, And for a multip, she was pushing longer than I would have expected. So I thought, maybe this is a bigger baby and, you know, just those kinds of things you're like checking off the list. And so I just really grounded myself and prayed and was like, it is going to be whatever it's going to be. This is a choice that they've made. I'm here to support their decisions. And then uh, after a little bit, the husband said, do you want to come in and listen? And I was like, yes, I would. (laughs) 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 That would be awesome. And so I went in and listened and then it was, it was obvious that she was about to have the baby. And, and so I kind of had him come down and support her perineum. I gave him some oil on his hands and he did this beautiful job, which actually, you know, I reviewed with her a little bit because she asked me to talk about anything that I noticed. It was very sensual because it was her lover, right? So he was using the oil and really like very much, um, it was just a sensual experience. And what I processed about it was that that's a beautiful way for you to really relax and open if you're the mom, right? To really let go. So beautiful delivery. He caught, put baby through her legs. She welcomed this baby, unwrapped the cord by herself. It was just the, the welcome was one of the most beautiful I've ever witnessed. So tender and beautiful. And her son was right there and just amazing. And it ended up being a nine pound, two ounce baby, completely intact perineum, like maybe a paper cut kind of like, you know, nothing. Um, And so we reviewed that, like I said, and I think that that the way that her husband supported her perineum with the oil was a big part of that. Of course, she did a beautiful job pushing controlled as well, but, and she delivered her own placenta, which was, um, awesome. Something that I've talked about before. It seems really hard for a lot of moms to be, you know, into it, but, um, she was, and it was beautiful. Yeah. I love the seeing your face when you tell these stories and hearing them and just how midwives are amazing. I mean, you came and can I just sleep on your couch and you left them be and didn't interrupt them. And the process was great. And the outcome was great. I'm not surprised that a multip delivers a nine pound baby without a tear. That's that wasn't surprising to me. You seemed a little more surprised about that, but I don't think nine pounds. Well, nothing. That nothing. big. Yeah. I just have one question. 
Yeah. What happened to the soup? Her husband turned it off at a certain point because he was worried about it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's by a, the way. That's such a guy thing, though. I was worried about yeah. the, she left the soup on the, on the stove. See? See? The other thing that I didn't mention was there was a lot of talk about how to fill up the tub and he was going to do it from the water heater. And I had all of these, like, concerns about, you know, it not happening. And it not didn't happen. Wrong. Yeah, not no, it didn't happen. <laughs> All right, so tell tell everybody that's a great story, though. But tell everybody about our guest because she's in the green room. We're going to leave her there for a little bit because I've got a few more things to go over. But tell tell everybody, give them a preview. I love the green room. <laughs> we have, we have a green room. Yeah, so Julie Sawaya is one of my clients, and she's also one of the founders of Needed, which is a company that we love and support. And she's going to join us today and talk about her birth experiences. She had two home births, one with me and then one after I left Los Angeles. And um, and we're going to talk about how she founded Needed and 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 have her talk to us about some of the amazing nutritional support that they have discovered through their research. Great. I'm looking forward to hearing that because there's so much about that that I don't know. I mean, yeah, there's so much there's so much information out there on on supplements. So many companies, so many commercials on TV. You know, I don't know that I don't think it's really regulated, but not that regulation <laughs> means much these days. But so I have lots of questions for her. But before we do that, Great. I wanted to just discuss a, a little bit about the comments on the podcast 292, which was uh, the breastfeeding podcast with, with the boob lady. And, yeah, and it uh, so many shout outs. People really enjoyed that. Yeah, it got viewed a lot. And it also, but it yeah. also, it also was triggering for uh, a lot of people. And I, I want to com commend the people that listen to our podcast that don't always agree with us, that think that we're always bashing hospitals and we're always bashing the medical model. I mean, we are most of the time, <laughs> but not, not hospitals in general, but the policies that hospitals have in place. But they kept it, they kept it very respectful. I've seen threads where people disagree and then they start to attack each other personally. And one of the big disagreements was that some people have had experiences as labor nurses or as moms where babies have fallen out of the bed and hit the floor. And they wanted to make it clear that that that's not safe for some women to have the babies in bed with them. And Rather, I, you know, and then some of you responded with some great comments like, well, you know, why don't, why don't you, we can wear something on our chest that keeps the baby on our chest. We don't have to, you know, have the baby laying in the bed next to us. We can, there are, there are solutions to this problem that are, that don't include swaddling the baby in the plastic box. Now, there were other people that complained about me calling it a plastic box. And I just responded to them as saying, well, it is a plastic box. So, <laughs> <laughs> but again, we read the, I mean, Bliss reads the comments usually more than I do, but I just was, I had time this morning since I'm three hours ahead of Bliss in the East Coast and I was ready to go a long time ago. So I was looking back through some stuff and I found the comments and I want to reassure people that, yeah, sometimes you have to yell loudly or use hyperbole to get your point across. And you don't always have to take everything exactly literally or that we are, we are bashing hospitals. I mean, when we, when there's a place to praise a hospital, we praise a hospital. But hospitals have not done well for so many things. And so many of the routine things that they do at the hospital are not uh, evidence-based. They're not, I don't like that term, but they're not, there's, they've just been doing them for so long that way that they don't think about changing it. And it makes them very uncomfortable to do so. So again, thanks for people who don't necessarily agree with us to listening to our podcast. That makes me very happy because we want to yeah, those people. You know what I want to say, Stu? It's like... <laughs> 
very similar to what you said when someone said they didn't like that you called it a plastic box and you said, but it is a plastic box. I don't necessarily see what we do as bashing hospitals. What I see that we do is talk about what is actually happening in regards to our personal experience or the experience of our listeners, because there's so much out there already that doesn't talk about that, that we get to give a different perspective. But, you know, I'm not interested in bashing people, just talk shit. I'm interested in taking the veil off of our cultural perspective that the hospital is the safest place for us and that and that home birth is dangerous. That That is, I think, a big part. Yeah, of and I don't think we ever, we ever are dogmatic or so dogmatic that we say that but you know we have a we have a point of view and my point of view and your point of view are based on uh years of experience working in both environments and right. seeing the difference right okay i just want to put that out there quick a quick letter from a listener francesca uh she just writes i want to say i love y'all's podcasts i'm a childbirth educator and soon to be a postpartum doula I'm a mother of two little boys, two years and seven months old. I had my first birth at a birth center with an amazing midwife. My second was a home birth with the same midwife. The birth center that she works for requires first-time moms and first-time natural birthers to take a childbirth class, which was amazing. I learned so much about the birth boot camp class that I took that I signed up to become an instructor. Anyway, she says, you guys talk about how important it is to set aside money for postpartum care like um, lactation consultants, chiropractics, et cetera, and I absolutely agree. I just wanted to tell you, and maybe you can tell the listeners too, that there's a website called Be Her Village that is a baby registry for this kind of stuff. It's all money-based, and moms can open certain funds for all kinds of things. Just thought I'd let you know if you didn't already know about this incredible resource. I think more moms and providers should know this as an option. Now, we're not endorsing or not not endorsing Be Her Village, but just like the idea that she was emphasizing the importance of spending money on your birth and on your postpartum care. What do you think? Investing in something that's meaningful. I feel the same way. I've got a client right now who's having some financial challenges and she said the exact same thing that, you know, and she's telling everybody that's coming to the baby shower, please don't buy me more things. We don't need more things. What we need is funds to be able to support ourselves, to be able to do what we want to do in terms of home birth and getting the support that we need postpartum. So I absolutely think it's well worth it. And how many times do you go to a, a postpartum visit and the crib and the, and the bassinet are just filled with stuff, folded clothes, all of that. Like the baby's not even in the baby's room and you've done all this work to build a baby room that costs a lot of money. So invest it. Yeah. One of my listeners turned me on to, and former patients turned me on to this TV series on Netflix called New Amsterdam. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's it's I think it's a couple doctor. years old. Yeah, it's a doctor mm-hmm. show and it's quite good. And the and the main doctor, they're they're gonna have a baby and they have all they had a baby shower and they have all the gifts and they they have the definitely return pile, the probably return pile, and the keep pile. <laughs> <laughs> it's just pretty funny. But it is, you know what? The medical stuff is way too slick and happens way too fast. People don't get cured in 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 a one day episode, but but the acting is really good, really good. Oh, okay. Check um, it out. I have one other thing I want to talk about before we bring Julia on, and it's just uh, some sort of typical, dumb, legislative tyranny, bureaucracy tyranny. It's, it's taking place in <laughs> Iowa. It's called Conservative Group Backs Midwives in Challenging Iowa's Certificate of Need Law. 
And it just, this was from January 17th, which was yesterday while we're recording. A organization is suing the state of Iowa over a requirement that birthing centers demonstrate the necessity of such a facility before they're allowed to open. Since 1977, Iowa has required state approval for any newly created or substantially changed institutional health service, as if a birthing center is an institutional health service, but that's what they say. The Iowa legislature enacted the law which requires prospective or expanding health care providers to first obtain a certificate of need from the five-member Iowa Health Facilities Council. You have to wonder who these people are and what their motivations are and who's, and who's supporting them and who's lobbying them. The intent of the law is to discourage the costly and unnecessary duplication of healthcare services. My argument would be that if a person wants to open a private business like a birthing center, and they, why do five people have to decide whether that's okay or not? If they, if they succeed, they succeed. If they fail, they fail. That seems to be what used to be the American right. way. This institute that's advocating for them operates as a tax-exempt public charity is alleging that requiring birthing centers to obtain a certificate of need, just as hospitals, medical centers, and nursing homes must do, violates the U.S. Constitution. They're suing the Iowa Health Facilities Council and its five members. They argue that Iowa mothers have a constitutional right to give birth in a safe, comfortable circumstances of their choice, and that his two clients, the two midwives, have a constitutional right to pursue their chosen occupation to provide that setting and care. Their efforts are increasingly valuable due to reports of crowded hospitals, poor health outcomes in birth in Iowa, and the wishes of hundreds of Iowan mothers to give birth with the help of trained midwives outside of a hospital setting. But Ms. Hanley and Ms. Zambrano Andrews, hope I'm pronouncing that right, have been prevented from opening a birth center due to a state law that places the economic interests of existing hospitals over the constitutional rights of midwives and mothers. The lawsuit notes that home birth is legal in Iowa, as are freestanding birth centers, but opening such a facility requires the prospective operators to go through a complex, lengthy, and expensive certificate of need process. That process, the lawsuit claims, effectively conditions the opening of new birth centers on the acquiescence of direct competitors such as nearby hospitals. The only thing standing in the way of expanding their existing home birth business into a freestanding birth center is Iowa's certificate of need requirement. The two women formed a midwife collective, which currently operates a women's health clinic in Des Moines, and offer services for birth that occur either in a client's home or at another location, such as a hotel room or a short-term rental. Good for them. The midwife collective claims to be the only home birth service within 240 miles of Des Moines that is insured and accepts insurance, including Medicaid. In Iowa, a medical facility certificate of need requires the approval of the Iowa Health Facilities Council. The process of applying for such a certificate requires payment of a fee that's equal to three-tenths of 1% of the anticipated cost of the project, up to a maximum of $21,000. So in order to get permission to build a birth center, you might have to spend up to $21,000. No freestanding birth center certificate of need has been granted in Iowa in many years. The only freestanding birth center in the state recently transitioned out of managing labor and birth, meaning the state currently is without a single freestanding birth center. Yep. Boom. And they don't care. <laughs> those no, are called gate. Those are called gatekeepers, Stu. Gatekeepers. Gatekeepers. Yeah, but that gatekeepers. Yes. Gatekeepers so, sounds too pleasant. Can we give it an? Can we give it an adjective? <laughs> sure. Like you go for it. Yeah, like greedy, selfish. Gatekeepers. I don't know something because it just doesn't sound right. Okay, I want to put that out there because we have listeners all over the country, and there are probably some in Iowa. And if there's something that we can do to help change the law, 
Great. or support that lawsuit, then please let us know. So Bliss, guess what time yeah. it is? It's time to talk about our sponsor. Yeah, let's talk about Element. There's Element LMNT is that tasty electrolyte drink that's got all the good stuff in it, none of the BS. And it comes in multiple flavors. And we are going to talk a little bit today about one of the new flavors, but it's great for, for laboring women. It's great for birth workers. It's great for people when working out, whether it's hot outside or cold outside, putting in electrolytes with no sugar is better for you and your body. So Bliss, tell us it because Element's proud to announce they've got a new flavor. It's so funny, right? We just did this special on chocolate and then they hit us with this. So they have a chocolate medley that includes three flavors, chocolate caramel, mint chocolate, and chocolate salt. And all chocolate flavors are enjoyed hot on their own or in your hot beverage, like hot chocolate, no peppermint mocha, or any other cozy beverage you can create. The chocolate medley and all its chocolate caramel and mint chocolatey salty goodness is here for a limited time. And when it's gone, it's gone. So get it while it's hot. Well, wow, so if you guys want to have a chocolate menage, you got three flavors <laughs> of chocolate, go for it. <laughs> go uh, for it. Just go to drinkelement.com backslash birthing instincts. And for every order, you'll get a free sample pack. We've sort of had some confusion lately because I've been saying it wrong. So it's drinklmnt.com backslash birthing instincts. Whatever you order, they'll add in a free sample pack. Thanks, Element. Thank you. Okay, Blister, tell us about Julie. Okay, great. So Julie Sawaya is the co-founder of Needed, a nutritional platform dedicated to optimally nourishing women before, during, and after pregnancy. Julie and her co-founder, Ryan, started Needed five years ago when they discovered through nutritional testing that they were hugely deficient in key nutrients needed for a healthy pregnancy. Needed was created to help women become optimally nourished, starting with redesigning the prenatal vitamin and now including over 20 targeted nutritional supplements to meet the needs of women and men during childbearing years. Julie is based in LA and is the mama of two girls, both born at home. And the first was with me. Hi, Julie. Welcome. Hi. It's so great to see you both. Great to see you too. So I was hoping to hear more about Julie, not necessarily needed, but that's okay because we're going to talk all about you and your births and how you came to create this company, yeah, which is pretty amazing. Um, who was your second midwife, by the way? I worked with Jennifer and Monica of LA Midwife Collective. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great. So I, we, Bliss, you'll appreciate this, though. I'm joking now that you moved out of LA shortly after Lenny's birth and Monica, who is lovely, is been in LA for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. She's leaving LA too. So I, I'm joking that I'm like chasing all the good midwives out of LA. Yeah. And <laughs> she left. You, Stu, I know. And I left. Yeah. I'm gone also. So <laughs> I'm going so to have to leave also, but at least bliss you're you've settled in, in California. You're still in California, right? For now. For now. Okay. <laughs> for now. So one of the things that we started in the new year is that we are doing more with our listener questions. And I thought this would be a really great one for you to join us in. And as we start to talk about your journey to choosing a home birth, because I know that you come from a medical family background, right? Your dad is I a do. doctor. 
my dad's a doctor. My sister is a doctor. Her husband's a doctor. My mom's an RN. Yeah. You know who you sound like? You sound like Marissa Chomey and my cousin Vinny. <laughs> my dad's a mechanic. My husband's a mechanic. My two brothers are mechanics. My uncle's a mechanic. That's what. Yeah, saying. I am the I am the black sheep of the family going going a different path, which is hilarious because the black sheep has created this beautifully uh, well thought out, well studied nutrition company. Yeah. And now I even have the, I have the, you know, the supplement skeptics on board. My, my family also takes the products too, which is cool. That is cool. So this question comes from Naima and she said, what questions would I ask my midwife or doula when I'm interviewing them? And so I thought it would be really great, you know, to ask you like, what was important to you when you were choosing your midwives and doula? Question. Yeah. I mean, doula. I did have a doula. Yes. For my first pregnancy, I did. Um, so I think for me, I think this is like a very personal question because as you've probably covered on the podcast, there, there's such a range of practitioner personalities and like, and also what you can be looking for. And I think a lot of people have different reasons for wanting to work with a midwife um, or an OB, like their reasons can vary for me. I think one of the, one of the things that I was really looking for. And, and what I found in you bliss is I wanted to, I was making the decision and not everyone is, is making the same decision. But for me, I was making the decision pretty well into my first pregnancy. I think I was 30 something weeks when we started officially working together, I was moving away from a hospital birth planning, you know, planning on delivering at a hospital with an OB and deciding to you know, as my family would probably have characterized it at the time, go rogue and like plan for this home birth. So I, it was really important to me that I had a provider that I felt really understood that container of safety and had really strong, a really strong appreciation for, you know, like, you know, what to look for, how to, how to understand if I was low risk enough when I was in labor, if things were progressing smoothly, someone that I would feel safe with because I knew that you knew what was unsafe and that I knew you would make the decision if we needed to transfer. That to me was really reassuring. I think it varies though for everyone. And I will say the other component for me that was really important was having that, like, I think there's something spiritual for me about home birth and about uninterrupted birth and pregnancy in general, that it's not just about the science or about like the medical risk or the medical safety. For me, it was so much of a journey of becoming a mother myself and embracing the uncertainty of it all. And, and bliss, I just felt like you were the perfect person for me to navigate that with. And as you know, very well, like one of the challenges for me was accepting that I was not in control ultimately of birth and how it was going to go down. And, you know, I think that's something that I'm excited to talk more about in terms of you know, you're a candidate for home birth if you are have a low risk pregnancy. And that is something that ideologically I really align with. Like, how can we help women to stay low risk in pregnancy? But ultimately, like there are things that are just out of your control. And anyways, for me, I think it was helpful to have the combination of someone who really understood that container of safety, but also could help me navigate the the unknown. Um, because so much of so much of this experience of pregnancy, birth, and being a mother is about accepting that it's just not, it's often not in your control. 
which I'm sure you know much, much more now because not only did you deliver your babies, but you're raising them. And yeah, uh, there's so much totally. that we can't control. Just to round out that question, Stu, is there anything that you want to add to the question of how what questions you should ask your dealer or midwife before we move on to Judy's story? Well, yeah, we could do, I think we've probably done a whole podcast on this sort of thing. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very personal decision. And just like we talked about with the people who felt differently about comments in podcast 292, uh, there are people who look at the idea that having someone tell them what to do and have them make a plan for them and make them feel like they feel safest in this environment with this sort of approach, we need to have those choices for everybody. And, and so... It's hard for us to give advice to any individual patient without or a listener without knowing their history and knowing what's important to them. But as Julie said, what's you know, you have to take what's important to you and then try to manifest that into a vision of how you want your birth to go. And then when you talk to people and, you know, as the down to birth people said, when you go in to meet somebody for the first time or for an appointment, you walk in with obviously a little bit of apprehension. Uh, ask yourself, how do you feel when you walk out? I think that's just I think that's just a brilliant simple thing that I've that I've incorporated a lot now with even people when I interviewed like a a guy to do my flooring or an electrician and how do I feel after talking to them did it feel good if it didn't feel good trust your gut trust your gut that's yeah. what I'm saying awesome I love that I would say something very similar as I was thinking about the question about like how individualized it is. And I would say the first thing I would suggest is that you really tune in to what is important to you before you meet with them. And so, you know, get clear on what is it that I really want out of this experience? And I love Julie, you were so clear, like you knew that you wanted somebody who could hold the safety container and also could, could walk with you as you traversed that spiritual aspect of of what birth is, right? And it's so funny, what came to my mind too is my um, the student that I'm working with was telling me about an interview that she had with somebody and they said that they wanted her to do a particular kind of braid in her hair. This is what she wanted from a doula. And she was like, then I'm not the doula for you because I don't know how to do that braid. And that, yeah. yeah, and that <laughs> sounds really simple, but it's like, that just shows you how individualized people's desires are, you know? And if that is really important to you, that your hair looks great for pictures or whatever that, like why that was important to her, then, then you should have somebody who can meet you there. And whether it's going to the hospital and getting an epidural and somebody not judging you on that, or someone, you know, being like a sister to you or a mom to you, you'll know that by how you feel. And I think you've both pointed to that. So, yeah. And I think one thing, one thing I wanted to add, I just realized, and you just shared bliss is that with my second uh, pregnancy, I realized how much I appreciated that you were a mother yourself and that you had been through that experience. And I just knew that I needed to find a midwife who was also a mother. It just felt super important to me. And I couldn't really articulate it uh, clearly to myself at the outset until I then with my actually second pregnancy had a pregnancy loss. And my my midwife, I didn't know this about her when I chose her, but I kind of gravitated towards her, I think a little bit energetically. And she had she had experienced pregnancy losses. And I was like, that's exactly why I needed to work with a midwife who had been through this experience. So I think trusting your intuition, even if you can't articulate it 
completely clearly to yourself or to your partner or to your family, I think is really, it's really important. I love that. That's amazing. So tell, tell us about your, uh, about your birth experiences. We talked a little bit about why you chose this, but tell us a little bit about what that was like for you. Cause you've had two home births. I've had two home births. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's amazing. Like, uh, yeah. So I'll start at the beginning, but I think like, it's amazing to me, the births themselves, I think weren't all that different from one another. There was like similarities or a comfort level in terms of it, but man, are my kids different. And the, the experiences like overall of motherhood have been vastly different, but yeah. So with, with my first pregnancy and birth experience, my daughter, Lenny was born in summer 2020. So I think I first met you bliss at an event that Nita was hosting around informed consent and how important that is in pregnancy and birth. And that was really, honestly, for me, one of the first times that my eyes were, was open to the option of home birth and of midwifery and the contrasts that can, you know, can exist between a hospital versus a home birth. But it's funny to me that even with that, you know, kind of initial interest being peaked, I was like, oh, home birth sounds like a great option for like a second pregnancy. But I think because my family is in the Western medical paradigm, I just like, I chose to, to start out that pregnancy with an OB and, uh, and really I have like the COVID pandemic to thank for my plans being interrupted. And I knew from the outset that I wanted to have a low intervention birth. I'm a person who like, just likes, I just like to minimize interventions when possible. Uh, and so, you know, in the spring, really the spring of 2020, I started think along with my husband, like really pretty seriously about, should I just go for it and plan on a hot and on a home birth? Because we were not going to be able to have our doula there with us in a hospital setting. And my husband's a little squeamish, you know, Joe, he's a little like, not, not as comfortable with like blood and, you know, medical type procedures make him anxious. And I just felt like less confident in my ability to have the birth that I wanted to, if I was not going to have my doula there. And I think I started to question that like logic of, is it smarter to plan for a home birth for a second pregnancy when like a first pregnancy outcome can very much dictate a first birth outcome can very much dictate your second birth outcome. So I started, we started interviewing midwives, uh, having zoom calls kind of like this, you were one of the the people who I met with. And I feel really lucky that I had, I didn't know anyone personally, like friends at the time who had had home births. So it did still feel kind of scary to me, but through my network at needed, I had um, friends who had either had home births or doulas who were, you know, like Ivy comes to mind, Ivy Joeva, who was a friend who I was able to have kind of unbiased conversations with about like, is this a crazy idea? Do you think that this is something that I'm a fit for? And uh, ultimately decided to take the leap. I think meeting you and feeling really confident in you was helpful to both me and Joe in making that decision. But it is a little bit, for me, it felt at the time a little bit like a leap of faith. Now having had two home births and having worked with midwives, it's like, I don't think it's a leap of faith at all. I'm like so glad that I've walked those paths and I feel so safe and so supported working with midwives for my pregnancies. I honestly can't imagine an alternative. 
Uh, but as like, I've been really fortunate to have pretty easy pregnancies overall. I think truthfully, the biggest challenge I experienced in my pregnancy and postpartum with my first daughter was the lead up to her birth. You had coached me on, you know, expect to go past 40 weeks, expect to go to 42 weeks, expect for labor to be long. And I think I prepared to go past 40 weeks, but not to 42 weeks. So that week between 41 and 42 weeks was really stressful for me. It was emotionally challenging. Physically, I still felt fine. Thankfully, we were able to go see you, Dr. Stu, and and do uh, an NST and see that baby was happy. Everything was great. I was low risk, but I still really struggled mentally with my expectations not being met of, and the friends and family chatter of like, sure. when is the baby coming? Is the baby ever coming? Is, is this safe? Mm-hmm. That was a struggle for me. Yeah, I was going to just say that with a doctor-based family or Western medicine-based family, First of all, I'm, you know, the idea that you having a home birth, <clears throat> I'm sure didn't sit well with a lot of them. And also then going past 40 weeks in one minute, probably yeah. <laughs> didn't, probably didn't sit well with them either because they're, you know, they're based it in the, in their colleagues who are obst- obstetricians who, you know, have this fear-based approach to all pregnancies when it's, you know, when it may be appropriate for some, but certainly not every, and so, so you going to 42 weeks, you're right. I mean, you heard a lot of chatter, but the, probably the chatter you didn't hear was probably, would have been probably very colorful, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I had, I heard some of it in retrospect. I had a, you know, cousin say to me, like, I've never known anybody to be as preg- pregnant as long as you. And, you know, even, even after my daughter was here safely, it was kind of like, that's just like, that's the kind of stuff I just don't, I just don't need to hear about, you know? And yeah. And I think yeah. it's like, I knew the second time around to be, you know, keep, keep like the due date closer to my chest, not like advertise it. I laugh now looking back on Lenny was due on June 29th. She was born on July 11th. And I like, you know, when we first announced our pregnancy, I'm like baby coming in June. Like I would never do that now. You know, now I know like if your baby's due at the end of June, I know that I have a tendency to go past due. And so I would just I would just expect it was a July baby, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know that at the time. And I didn't start working with bliss at the beginning of my pregnancy. I'm sure if I had, you would have told me that from the outset. So I try, I try. (laughs) I think like, I think that I needed bliss. You probably remember we had a conversation that week, like some tough love where you're like, you know, I think you, you managed to help cut through the noise for me. You know, you helped me to like, you heard me out, you heard all the fears, but you also helped me to ground in the fact that like, this is, this is like, everything is safe. Like you're going to go into labor. Like we also have a lot of time. You have options. There's things we can do and we can talk about what, what I chose to do to try to uh, initiate labor. But I think you really helped me to appreciate that. Like my, the way I was feeling and like my sense of fear was not the reality of like, there was no pressing risk to me or the baby. And I also think something that has stuck with me through every part of my motherhood journey thereafter was you helping me to understand that like, there is no absolute safety. You know, we can, we can, we can try to do everything we can, whether you're working in like a very managed hospital-based setting or planning on a home birth with minimal interventions. There is an element of the unknown and the unpredictable in 
pregnancy and birth. And that's really hard to confront. And I very much feel like I needed to walk through that journey of understanding that there is to me. And I think, I think Liz, we've talked about this before, but to me, there's like such a fine line between birth and death and like accepting that that was my biggest fear of like, you know, what if something happens to my baby and I didn't do absolutely everything possible to prevent it? I think you really helped me to see that like, there is just, there are just things that we cannot control and it is a hard thing to accept. But I think for me, that was, I had to, I had to face that fear in order to step into this like next chapter as a mother. Yeah. And you had an absolutely beautiful, if I remember, pretty quick delivery. I did. Yeah. It might've been thanks in part to a little castor oil, which I did end up taking small amount of before you go too far into that, I just yeah, yeah. wanted to to say something that was that pulled on my heart as you were sharing that part of your story. And you were one of the 48 families that I supported in 2020. Goodness. That's and it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot. And it was right after, as many of you know, I lost my daughter. And so you know, hearing you reflect back the potency of the conversations that we had during that time about not being able to control and, you know, the life and death and all of that. It's just, you know, that was such a special time, Julie, you were part of such a special time, you know, now that I'm serving people in Santa Barbara and, you know, it's just a different, a different time for all of us. I know we were all like, gosh, 2020 and like, you know, all of these things. But, you know, when I look back on that time, it was so potent and, and your story is a pure reflection of how special that time was that we all shared together. So, yeah. I mean, truthfully, I feel like yeah. you, this is the part that I, when I, when I outset to your question, like, I just, I just don't think for me that this path is, it's not an intellectual one. It's not a, like, it's a, it's a, like a heart based journey and that ability to connect with someone so deeply through this experience to me is like, it's just like made a profound impact on my life and how I, how I embrace challenges that come up because pregnancy and birth is just the first, it's just the very, very, very beginning of it. Like almost all of the hard work is after. True. True. But we can't see that. We can't see that until we've walked that path. So yes, do you? Yeah. Just sitting here again, one of these things where I'm just listening and and just I want to reemphasize two things that Julie said. One is that she said the first birth uh, outcome dictates the second birth outcome. And that's important for people to understand that, that that if you take a similar cohort of women who are low risk and they have a home birth for the first time, maybe 10 to 20 percent will get transferred to the hospital, but there'll be an overall C-section rate of less than 10 percent. If you take that same cohort of women in the hospital who go in and generally they're brought in for some reason for induction or the baby's too big, all these things that they bring you in for, and you go through that whole cascade, you're going to have a C-section rate in the, in the 20 to 25% rate. So two to three times. 30. Times well, for first time moms, low risk, maybe it's a little less than 30. Overall, it's 30. But but I'm just saying, I'm trying to be you know, very honest about this, that, the, mm-hmm. that your first birth is far more likely to end up with an intervention such as a C-section if you go to the hospital, even when you're perfectly healthy and normal. The second thing and that, trauma, 
This is the one I'm saying all the time. Like, why do we have to go to a hospital and experience trauma in order to then turn around and choose something different? You know, like, why not do it? Yeah, because you said that maybe I should have my first baby in the hospital. And I, I get this all the time. And so does Bliss in our emails and in our messages that, you know, I, I chose to have my first baby in the hospital. And 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 now for sure, I'm going to have my second baby at home. And it's like, yeah, the, the success rate at home in the first baby is less than, the, than a multip, but it's still quite high. And the experience of having a midwife throughout your prenatal care is so much more valuable the kind of care that you get. And I, and again, I know this because I was the OB who gave you a six minute, seven minute prenatal visit for many years before I altered because of my, because I was being influenced by midwives and their, and their method of care. The second thing that you said, which was really important is that, you know, you went overdue and you came in to see me and you got an NST and a biophysical profile. The beauty of that is again, for people that don't understand the midwifery model, midwives aren't out there in the barn you know, not using modern technology when it's available. And so obviously in LA for all those years, I had a beautiful relationship with the local midwives in, in town and I would do a lot of their testing because I would do it in an unfearful way. I would do it in a reassuring way as opposed to if they sent them off to a maternal fetal medicine specialist or something, first they'd hear you're having a home birth. Secondly, they'd find your fluid, fluid was lowish or some other yeah. term and they would find a reason to, to make, you know, to make, to change your plan. and. The problem that a lot of our midwife colleagues have in the country is they don't have a collaborative situation where they can send somebody in for a consult or send somebody in for post-dates testing and get and feel safe about doing what and, and, and feel that they're going to get an honest response from their from that person that's doing it. So that's a problem. But we are very lucky uh, that we have this collaboration and this is the way it should be. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. And I, I like just two things I want to say quickly off of that point. I think that is part of what made it feel in my first pregnancy, like such a leap into the unknown is that I had to like break up with my OB when I told her that I was going to pursue a home birth. There was no option for her to be a backup. You know, that was like something she would never consider doing. And I remember her saying to me, like, it's just not a decision I can endorse, like maybe for your second pregnancy. So it's really interesting hearing an OB say like, maybe your second one, but not for your first, because your first is going to be too risky. And so you need to be in a hospital, even though the data doesn't support that. And then the second part I wanted to mention, not to jump ahead too much, but I was really lucky, Dr. Stu, your presence is both for both of you. I think your, your, your absence is felt in the LA community. Uh, but I was really fortunate to be able to work with in my guess third pregnancy, second birth experience with um, an OB who you guys might know, Dr. Fabilia Affleck, who's based here in LA. She is she is apprenticing to be able to offer home birth as part of her services, but she practices in a very collaborative way with midwives. So I was able to have concurrent care throughout my pregnancy. After experiencing a pregnancy loss, I felt like I wanted a little bit more reassurance, a few more scans throughout pregnancy. And it was such a pronounced difference seeing her versus then going in for my 20 week exam with a maternal fetal medicine doctor who I missed, made the mistake of telling I was having a home birth to and exactly to your points too. And then it's like, you know, all the questions, all the, all the negative looks. And it, I think it's amazing that there are a few options. I just wish that everybody was able to have that concurrent care, which really is the model of care in other countries. Uh, yeah. And here in the U.S., it's such an anomaly. Yeah. 
where yeah, well, a lot of countries it's piecemealing it's, it's, it. A lot of countries it's even worse though. So they all the countries run the gamut. There are some countries where midwifery is illegal, and there's some countries that have a seventy percent C-section rate and and yeah. stuff like that. So yeah, what you're talking about is like Denmark or England or, yes. or whatever, where they have those yeah. nice relationships. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and so prior to getting pregnant, you created this company. So tell us a little bit about how you came about making this decision. Yeah. So my co-founder Ryan and I met as next door neighbors when we were in business school. We were both lifelong, I would describe us as lifelong nutrition nerds. We both have nutrition certifications, but we weren't practicing as nutritionists. But both of us had a really keen interest in nutrition. For me, that interest I think stem back to my dad, who's an MD, as we mentioned, he was diagnosed with type two diabetes when I was five. So most of my life, he was battling health challenges that have a clear nutritional tie-in to them. And everybody in my dad's family, he's he is Lebanese American. And so most of his family is extremely healthy, eats like a Mediterranean diet, is very active, very few health problems, a lot of longevity. And my dad's health journey was a pretty clear contrast to that. And, you know, as soon as I was old enough to understand that nutrition plays a role in diabetes, I think I became very interested in how do I avoid that for myself? And how do I, how do I use nutrition to stay healthy? Uh, and Ryan had her own journey more so focused on environmental health. But when we first met uh, through our own, basically through our own kind of conversations and then testing our own nutritional levels, we realized that despite doing what we thought were the right things, like shopping at the farmer's market and preparing our own meals, we both had pretty significant nutritional deficiencies that if we were to become pregnant could classify us as, you know, depleted to a point that there are complications. And that was shocking to us. So we basically dug into the research to understand if we were alone in having those needs and realized that 97% of women in this life stage take a prenatal vitamin and yet 95% plus have nutritional deficiencies. And these are in key nutrients that are like omega-3 and choline that are super important to baby's brain development, super important to pregnancy outcomes. So ultimately there, there was a need in the market. There's not a need for another prenatal. There's so many options on the market, but there was a need for a prenatal vitamin that actually met optimal nutritional needs, not just the bare minimums. So we got together with a group of practitioners to basically redesign the prenatal vitamin from the ground up. And that work was nearing completion at the beginning of my first pregnancy then COVID happened, supply chains were what they were. So when I met Eblis, we were like in the thick of basically trying to get our products out to market. And thankfully they were able to launch end of 2020. So I basically became a mother and Needed was born in its current form simultaneously. So it's very much a personal journey, but ultimately wanting to create a platform with nutrition products, education and access to practitioners that we wanted for ourselves and we wanted our friends to have too when navigating, whether it's fertility or pregnancy or postpartum, we all need more support than we're getting. And Stu, you mentioned those five to seven minute OB appointments. That's the standard. And, and that's just not enough time to cover nutritional questions, let alone, you know, 
OBs generally are not trained in nutrition, so they don't have that, the answers that women are looking for. And that is one of the reasons I think I I didn't have a full appreciation for this until becoming a midwifery client myself. But the midwifery model of care is so much more focused on nutrition because it's so focused on staying low risk. And to me, that was just in perfect alignment with what we're what we're focused on at Needed, which is how do you help women thrive? How do you help them stay low risk and have healthy pregnancies and also just feel good? So much of it is about when you feel better, you're able to deal with the the ups and downs of motherhood so much better. No, I have uh, a, life. I, oh, I have I have just a, a quick comment. I wrote some questions down before before the interview today. I mean, this yeah. morning when I was doing it. Before you jump into that, before yeah. you jump into this, I just wanted to say, Julie, do you think that the reason that y- your your marketing materials and what you stated right now is that you know we're deficient, even though you were making really good choices and you knew so much about nutrition, I just yeah. want to kind of like educate you a yeah. little bit about why that is. Do you think that that's connected to the fact that our soil is so depleted and Yes, and yeah. Liz, you, you, you didn't catch me where I was going because I was going to say oh. I wasn't going to ask a new question. I was going to say that Julie's already answered oh. my question, <laughs> yeah. which were most Americans and medical students know nothing about nutrition and yeah, yeah. to GMO foods. They have increased yield, but decreased nutritional value. That's pretty exactly. well known. Right. And that yeah. choline is something that is people don't know much about it. I didn't know anything about it until I actually met with a nutritionist who helps women with diets for MTHFR Um, and choline and methylated folate are very important in that. So it's not just for people with MTHFHR, which is for those people who want me to try to say it, methotetrahydrofolate reductase deficiency, bingo. I just say, you know, I just remember remember motherfucker. That's how I remember. Both both words. But, but, but the fact that you, that in your, just your opening, you just discussed these things because they're, they're so important. I just have a, I have a question as a, um, as my OCD wants to know, how does someone who has knowledge in nutrition start a company? Where does the product come from? And how did you put it all together? You said you got together with some other doctors and stuff like that to do this. But that to me is really impressive, you know, to, to start a company like that. And to be able to know where to get materials that you trust to yeah. put in a little capsule or power powder. We know we're going to talk about, Bliss will talk about it because she loves the powder, talks about it all the time for those of us who can't swallow pills and all that, you know, but <laughs> yeah. how did you, how did you do that? So I'll, I'll end my question and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So quickly hit on what Bliss was asking earlier, and then I'll wrap this into how we started, like how we actually formulated and decided what should be in the prenatal. So it's absolutely the case that our soil is depleted. We're not getting as much nutritional quantities out of our food as we used to. Food takes longer to reach our plate, so food can get more depleted in, in transit. We eat, you know, we eat out more often. So there's there's a lot of reasons. The other one is that we are exposed to so many more environmental toxins. So our body has a higher baseline nutrient requirement than it once did because your body goes through nutrients in order to detoxify. So it's 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 a lot of different factors, but the end result is that food alone really isn't cutting it. That's true for all life stages, but especially for the life stage of pregnancy and postpartum and fertility as well, when your nutritional needs are at their absolute highest that they will ever be. And so at, you know, at a 
kind of foundational level, what we want to be looking for is optimal, like replete nutrient levels in this life stage, not meeting the bare minimums. And that's why you would take a supplement is to fill in the gaps in your diet. The problem is most supplements and and most prenatals specifically are designed to meet your bare minimum requirements, not the levels that we learned. And this gets at, how do we actually create this product? How did we do this? We started out by working with a group of perinatal nutrition and health practitioners and basically forming relationships with them. What we learned through that is most practitioners were cobbling together multiple products to be able to meet their patient's needs. So they were recommending this practitioner grade prenatal, but even that one, that's the most complete on the market, didn't have enough vitamin D, didn't have enough choline. Maybe it completely lacked iron. It completely lacked omega-3. So it was complicated and it was requiring a lot of pills to be taken. So we basically started out with working with practitioners, a group of naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, registered dietitians primarily who had data from their practice of what basically from testing women's nutrient and hormone levels, what dosages we needed to include in order to reach optimal levels, not just to avoid a deficiency, but to reach optimal levels. The reason that we had to tap into that in practice experience is because there is there is a lot of nutritional research out there, but there are also huge nutritional research gaps specifically around pregnancy. There's risks in testing pregnant women. A lot of the research lags behind clinical real world experience. So we look at both when formulating products. And we basically went for the prenatal vitamin ingredient by ingredient, understanding what's the optimal dosage. Let's look at the clinical research. Let's tap into in-practice experience. Let's identify exactly what dosage, exactly what nutrient form we want to use. Because to your point on NPHFR, some people can process certain nutrient forms better than others. So Something like methylated folate is really important to include so that it's usable by the body. It's not just about the quantity of a nutrient you're taking. It's about what form is it so that your body can readily use it. We did that exercise. That's why it took three years, truly, to redesign the prenatal vitamin because it was a it was a very time-intensive process. And it wasn't simply a, let's go call around, find a couple of manufacturers who make prenatals and, and you know, rebrand an existing product, which is what most people do. They're not creating products from the ground up. They're not vetting suppliers and sourcing ingredients individually like we are. They're finding a product that's available off the shelf and then they're putting better branding on it. And that just fundamentally wasn't the problem we were looking to solve. We weren't looking to create like a pretty prenatal vitamin company. We were looking to solve underlying nutritional deficiencies. And, you know, it's just not a, it's not a quick process. So I think work we put into it was well worth it because immediately once the products were available, they became quickly adopted by practitioners who know what to look for on a supplement facts panel, who know what women need to thrive. And that really is something we're really proud of. And it's it's a lot of the bread and butter of who we are as a company is, is backed by this really large group of perinatal nutrition and health practitioners. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you said, I'm, I'm also very impressed. I owned a company, but it wasn't a supplement company. And I know what it takes to put something together and it's pretty awesome. And it's a women-owned company, correct? It's a women-owned company. Yeah. 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 We do have a couple of early investors, but they are women, which is awesome. I think, I think it's not surprising that, you know, 
those who've been through this life stage who are mothers themselves or who understand what the journey feels like would understand acutely what the problem is that we're looking to solve. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're really proud of that. Yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of, speaking of women only, you do have a supplement for men as well. And also this thing, this conception support plan for two. So yes. do you want to just diverge a little bit and just tell us a little bit about the conception yeah. support plan for two and also men. And then I have, you know, I obviously I'm writing down questions. Bliss knows I do this. So I've got some things we'll get to, but I'm really curious about, about how that came about. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like the, the reason to have a men's line is because so often the onus is put on women when it comes to fertility and pregnancy outcomes and the health of a baby. But the reality is that men contribute, you know, their DNA as well to a baby that sperm, you know, sperm and egg meet. And that is what dictates, uh, you know, at least most of the health of the baby. And then what you do during pregnancy, of course, matters too. But sperm health and quality really matters. Sperm health and quality is also on a decline due to environmental factors and other, you know, basically environmental factors. What other factors too. Everybody, knows, everybody knows what we're talking about with other factors, yeah. but we'll leave it at that. Um, and, you know, the, the health of a man during this time period really matters. It matters for the health of the baby. It matters for pregnancy outcomes, for miscarriage, for, you know, for all kinds of complications or health outcomes that can arise. And so I, you know, I mentioned earlier, 97% of women take a prenatal in this life stage. The percentage of men who take a prenatal vitamin in this life stage is vastly lower than that. We're working <laughs> to try to overcome that. But a lot of that is about education. You know, most people aren't even aware that men should be taking a vitamin and that there are nutritional considerations to sperm health and sperm parameters, both quantity, motility, morphology, all of those factors that Im impact fertility outcomes have a nutritional tie into them. So our men's line, we, we have men's complete plan. It's designed around a multivitamin and omega-3 and a pre and probiotic to support general men's health and also fertility outcomes. So it's a product line that men can stay on for the rest of their lives, but it also is really beneficial during fertility. Some of the reasons that men really like taking it beyond the initial fertility time period is that it supports energy, it supports hair health, supports libido, overall kind of healthy microbiome and gut health. Um, but it is, it is, a, it's a really important component to the picture for, you know, if, if there is a male and female partner conceiving together, it is, it behooves you to consider men's health alongside a woman starting on a prenatal vitamin prior to conceiving. Yeah. And you know, there's so many brands out there that it's really, really hard to know because vitamins are not regulated in, in a way that like, uh, well, I was telling Bliss earlier. They're regulated like food. So basically once they're in market, they're regulated, but they don't require pre-approval. So Right. And I'm, and I'm not sure that many of us trust regulation, regulators anymore anyway. So, you know, not that we maybe, maybe, maybe that was always that way. We were just naive back then. But so that's why when you when you talk about when we're talking to you personally, we know you personally, and you talk about your your quality control and the fact that you you go to the manufacturers, you look at these things, make makes me as as far as a skeptical consumer much more confident that there's value in taking this product as opposed to what I often say when a woman takes a prenatal vitamin is it just makes expensive urine. Yeah. 
Yeah, we third party test every underlying ingredient and the finished product. And we share those results with consumers. We have very knowledgeable consumers and skeptical consumers, which I think is awesome. Like I, I myself am, am a, certainly before starting needed, I was a bit of a sup supplement skeptic and it's absolutely true. It's not just about taking something. It's about taking something that you know where it's sourced from, you know, the potency of the ingredients, you know, it does not have an abundance of heavy metals in it. That's something that's really important, especially in this life stage. And just as our food can contain those contaminants, so can our supplements. So it's really important. We share those results freely and we recommend that no matter what prenatal or no matter what supplements you're looking to take, ask the manufacturers, the brand behind the products, if they third-party test and if they're willing to share results. Because more often than not, you will hear, oh yes, we test our products, but we don't share results. And to us, that's a bit of a red flag of if if your product quality is something that you can stand behind, you should be willing to share that with the consumer. Absolutely. Um, so why not gummies? Great question. So gummies are popular. They're great for- They are popular. For, yeah, they're easy to take. And I think the biggest challenge with gummies, aside from, you know, dentists have complaints with them getting stuck in your teeth and they can cause cavities. So they're not optimal for kids, but- in pregnancy, the reason that we um, have, have yet to launch a chewable is because it's very difficult to pack in the right nutrient forms and the right dosages into a gummy vitamin. It's just a, like a, basically a space constraint. So the better forms of many nutrients, especially nutrients like choline, which is a very bulky nutrient, it takes up a lot of space. You can't include a meaningful amount of choline in a handful of gummy vitamins, or really even into a one a day prenatal pill. That's why the first product that we launched was actually a powdered prenatal vitamin. Um, mm -hmm. Powder enables us to dose at optimal levels and use the best nutrient forms without space constraints. And it's a good form factor for those that do struggle to take a lot of pills. If you have nausea, if you, you know, just have normal pregnancy aversions, which so many of us have, the powder is a great option. It's blends really nicely into smoothies. You can mix it into a range of different foods and drinks. It's an extra step versus a gummy, which is super convenient, but you can you can be confident that it actually has the meaningful amount of nutrients that you need in a relatively easy to take form factor. Awesome. And I was mistaken, yours isn't combined with a protein powder, right? We it's offer separate. protein separately, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. So what we're really known for is a four-part plan. It's called our complete plan for women. It's a prenatal vitamin and omega-3 that's dosed separately from the prenatal, largely because omega-3 is so prone to oxidation if it's mixed with minerals and vitamins. So it's better if it's packaged separately, but you can take them at the same time as one another. We also include a collagen protein for basically blood sugar balance, but also collagen is what the placenta is comprised of. It contains certain amino acids that your body can't produce during pregnancy, glycine and proline. You need to consume them through your diet. And most women are not consuming pork rinds or you know animal skin, those kinds of foods that are rich in, we don't eat nose to tail generally in the US. Anymore, yeah. Boneless, skinless chicken. And so you're not getting glycine and proline typically. And I actually am like a former vegan, sometimes dabble in vegetarianism, but I take our collagen protein all throughout pregnancy because it's such a, it's, a, it's an ethically sourced 
grass fed, you can feel comfortable. I, you know, I care a lot about animal welfare and sustainability of what we eat. And I love our collagen protein because it doesn't taste like meat. It doesn't have the texture of meat. And it's just a great way to get in those amino acids that aren't found in a plant-based diet. And then the last the last product that's included in the complete plan is a pre and probiotic tailored to the maternal microbiome, vaginal microbiome, seeding baby's microbiome through breastfeeding or skin to skin contact postpartum. Um, it's specifically tailored to this life stage. So all four of those products are awesome. The prenatal vitamin powder blends really well with the collagen, but we didn't want them to be one in the same because some consumers are vegan or they have their own reasons for not wanting to take collagen. And we wanted to give you maximum, basically the maximum ability to customize the products to your needs. Yeah. So and another reason to do collagen is because it's really good for your skin, which sounds kind of is. vain. But if you think about it, you have tissue that is working really hard during your delivery. And so if you've got really good optimal health in that way, your tissues can handle Absolutely. that with more integrity. So yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. So was stretching my- in all the ways matters during pregnancy. And exactly. Yeah, exactly. So was my mom correct when she told me as a little boy that, that when I only ate the potato and I didn't eat the potato skin, or I didn't want the crust of the bread cut off when my sandwiches were made that the, <laughs> I'm skipping the best part. Was she correct? There is nutrition. Yes. In like vegetable skin and definitely also in the exterior of an animal. As much as we don't maybe want to think about that, there there's a lot of nutritional benefits to that, and that gets back to the earlier part of uh, why we're you know why we have deficiencies. You can have a deficiency because you you know you have a restricted diet, you're gluten free, you're vegan, you're vegetarian, whatnot. But also just the way that we eat is inherently a little bit restricted. We tend to eat a lot of the same foods on repeat rather than a huge diversity of food types or, you know, parts of an animal the way, you know, maybe our ancestors did. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there's a post that Bliss just put out yesterday that I reposted about a poem or something that a mom wrote to her baby or baby writes to her mom. It's just beautiful about the mom being the whole world. And, and, and when I, when I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking back to my childhood and it's like, I have to reevaluate my whole childhood now. My mom was actually correct. I should have eaten the skin of the potato. <laughs> And I didn't eat the skin of the bit. I have, I have one simple last question uh, that maybe is a compound question, but deficiencies. How does yeah. the average person know they're deficient? And is there an easy test for that? How do, what would somebody do if they wanted to know what they're deficient in? Yes. I mean, I wish, wish that there was an all-in-one single test. It is something that we are a little bit, yeah, we're in early R&D on the ability to offer like an all-in-one prenatal nutrient test. but. This is one reason why midwives are really awesome because it is much more common to have your nutritional levels tested with a midwife than with an OB. Sure. Uh, and, and I'm talking not just iron levels or, you know, like a simple, it's pretty common to test iron levels during pregnancy and, and even maybe vitamin D among OBs, but it's it's not common to see a full nutritional panel being tested. Is it blood? Um, is, is it hair? Is it blood? Is it saliva? What 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 do you do? And and how would somebody? Blood, is, yeah. Does a, does a routine lab order that? Could you order that from Quest Diagnostics? You can. You can get nutrient testing done through Quest, LabCorp. Typically, blood assays are the more accurate testing. I think you can do like a hair analysis, but 
typically what our practitioners would recommend is getting a like a, a blood test done. There are some options. Certain nutrients can be tested with a finger prick test. We actually offer an omega-3 and a vitamin D test that you can order on our website and take it home. And it's highly accurate through a blood spot test. But other nutrients are much more accurate when they're done through like a whole blood assay. So that would be something you can request from your practitioner. Even, even though, you know, I would say like your OB might say, no, you don't need that. But if you ask for it, they're much more likely to do it than if you don't ask for it. So it's good to ask. Um, and and ask which ones would you test for? Which, which ones would you say, if you're yeah. going to do the top seven, which would you test for? Top seven based on accuracy of testing results, I'd say include vitamin D, B12, iron, magnesium. Zinc is a good one to test for like baseline immunity. Um, did I already mention omega-3? I'm not sure if I did that. No. Commonly included in a blood assay, but it's a great one to include. Choline? No. Choline is a difficult one to test for, uh, but absolutely ask and see if they have a reliable marker for it that they can test for. And then the other non-nutrient that I would suggest getting tested is have your thyroid levels tested because sometimes you can uncover a vitamin or, or mineral deficiency through abnormal thyroid levels. Ideally, you'd be looking at TSH, T3 or free T3, free T3 P4, free T4. Um, and then thyroid antibodies as well. That I think it's called TPO is also great to test. And again, why I love midwives, they like well, often I work with a naturopathic doctor too for my, you know, for my own health and to monitor my sister has photos. I, I like to monitor my thyroid levels closely. But what's awesome is my midwife's like, we're already testing everything that my naturopathic doctor would want to see, which is very different than my past experience working with an OB. So really, I think it can be really helpful. In a perfect world, we would be testing that every trimester and also postpartum, but having it tested at least once or twice during pregnancy or once during pregnancy and once postpartum is is really great. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome, Julie. Anything else that you want to share with us before we wrap up? Anything else that feels important to share? You know, I was thinking about it and, you know, talking about birth experiences and postpartum experiences. I think one thing that like is like a new revelation for me, I've been really lucky to have low risk pregnancies. I mentioned I had a pregnancy loss in between my two birth experiences, um, which has really, I think, built for me so much empathy for what our consumers that need to go through because you can be an, a health optimizer and still have challenges like that. And I think that's just one message I wanna make sure to lead people with, like we're talking a lot about how to optimize your nutrition and ways you can be proactive. You can seek out the optimal care provider and you can take the best prenatal vitamins on the market, but there is just an element of this that's outside of your control. And that has been made really clear for me with my experience with my younger daughter, Marlo. I breastfed my older daughter, Lenny, for over two years, like literally until the new baby was born. And I did that because breastfeeding was an easy experience for me. And I also wanted, you know, the nutritional benefits for Lenny. And in my experience with Marlo, I'm, I'm exclusively pumping because we can't quite figure it out, but that is what is working better for Marlo. And I just want to share that so that those listening can understand that like, nobody gets this all perfectly right. And there is no perfectly right. Like every journey is different. And I am very much a health optimizer for myself and for my kids. And 
there's just, I think this is back to what I learned through you, Bliss. Like there are just these things about this experience that are outside of our control. But what I think is empowering about nutrition is that it it's one of those things that you can control when so much else you can't. And that's why I like to be proactive about, you know, just be proactive of what you can be and try to let go of the rest because it's just not meant to be something that we can control. Yeah. Do your best one day at a time. That's all we can do. Well, we're so delighted. First, I'm just delighted to get to see you and hear about your birth story and talk to you and catch up, but also that our companies have kind of joined forces and that you are supporting the podcast and we're supporting the wonderful work that you guys are doing. So I'm really delighted about that. I wonder, Stu, if you could just let our, remind our listeners about how we can support them in utilizing Needed's products with a, a really great code. <laughs> you want me to go into uh, sponsorship mode? Fine print, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you go to thisisneeded.com uh, using the code Birthing Instincts, all capital letters, and you get to save 20% on one-time order or your first three-month subscription from thisisneeded.com with the code word being Birthing Instincts, all caps. Yeah, and it was really important to me you know, in talking to you today to really just unveil the power of the work that you're doing and the intentionality and who you are as a person and what this company is committed to so that people felt like, you know, they weren't just buying a product to support us, but they really had the heart and the, and the love and the connection and the information behind it as well. So thank you so much. I know you guys are rightfully so you guys are discerning about who you partner with and Yes. And I love that. I think like that is, that's very in alignment with us. And yeah, so many of, I think so many of the relationships that we form with practitioners are because we, we really care about, you know, getting to know our customers, getting to know the practitioners we work with. It makes our products better. The more we learn from practitioners, like, like both of you and, and it, you know, helps us to just fundamentally like meet people's needs better through yeah. these relationships. So we are we are equally grateful for for you guys and for your support. Anything else, Stu? Nope. <laughs> okay. We're going to wrap up so you can drop off, Julie. Thank you so much, sweetheart. Thank you, guys. So good to see you. Bye, both. Julie. Bye. Thank you. Bye. I have more stuff, just it wasn't for Julie. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. That was informative, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I look at... I look at I look at the supplement world and I'm it's kind of like that example that I gave you one time when I was in that shampoo aisle at Costco or something. I there's so many choices you don't know where yeah. to begin so you end up mm -hmm. just in panic mode. So yeah. it's good for me to have guidance from somebody that we know and we trust uh and and again you if you use other person's people's products you just want to make sure that it, the quality is fine. I mean that's and that you're getting what you need. And so I Again, I don't know how we really, the last question I asked about how do you find out and the testing was important for my OCD type brain to try to, yeah. you know, because some people eat very healthy and probably don't need the same thing as other people who she says are repetitive eaters who eat the same sort of meals all the time. I would probably fall into that category. Uh, so that's really important. And I hope that the listeners got something out of that. Before we sign off, I just want to do a couple reminders at Birthing in birthinginstincts.com website, we've updated a few things on there. And we've added in, in the resources section under essays, um, 
the inform uh, the consent for a forced cesarean section document that people can read and take and and give to their uh, practitioner when they think they're being told they need a cesarean section and they're not really certain about it. And also, we did a reference for birthing families uh, and or families with an infant in the NICU, uh, the hospital tyranny document that you and I and Greg and Hermine had sat and talked about. I finally put it together, and it's now up on the website in the in the resources page under essays. And uh, it gives you some ideas of things that you can do when you feel like you're being bullied or you're not or you feel like you're not being given true informed consent. So you can take a look at that. And then for my oh, go ahead. I said great. That's awesome. That's what you said. (laughs) And then lastly, we still have our our Google Voice is now up and running. That's 805-399-0439 if you want to call in with a short comment uh, that we can then play on the podcast and answer. Or you can write to us directly at birthinginstinctspodcast at gmail.com. You have anything else? Awesome. Nope. That was great. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's always good to see you. And thank you for getting Julie to come on. I hope I hope to have a great week and I will see you next week. Everybody else, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 